everybody, it's Ed from the Whiskey Tangent Podcast here with another Whiskey Short. And joining me as always is Scott. Hey, everybody. We also have a couple of the guests you heard last week who are joining us again. That's right. We have Andy. Hello. Andrew. Hello. And Scott is going to tell you what we're going to do today. That's right. So I was on Instagram and I saw an ad for the new whiskey called Hemingway Rye with other Ascot Awards and it's yeah. finished and all this stuff. And it's Hemingway. I was an English major, so <laughs> I got sucked in. And this is the Hemingway Rye. Not as good as sucked off, everybody, but still <laughs> fun. <laughs> Quick taste. <laughs> whiskey sure. <laughs> Say it again, Scott. Go no, ahead. no, I like it. That's really good. Uh, okay, so um, of course I have a quick story about Hemingway Rye and sure. where it came from and what it's all about, and uh, then we'll get to taste it. And I'm really excited to do so. Hemingway Rye Whiskey was founded by a team with deep experience in Kentucky whiskey. Angel's Envy co-founder Steve Groth and three members of the Call family, seventh generation master distiller Ron Call and his sons Clayton and Jacob, who source, blend, and finish the whiskeys themselves. Their first offering is Hemingway Rye Whiskey First Edition, a captivating blend of Indiana and Kentucky straight ryes, the latter of which was distilled by Jacob Call himself. Both ryes are then finished in rum-seasoned Oloroso sherry casks. More on that in a minute. The brand is inspired by the rich storytelling of famed author Ernest Hemingway, who lived a life full of tales worth telling, and we'll get to some of those tales later on, as well as the lessons and traditions passed down from generation to generation. Hemingway famously didn't drink while he wrote, but after his writing was done for the day, he definitely loved his whiskey, which he said helped him shape his next day's writing in unexpected ways. And so using Hemingway as an inspiration, Steve Groth says that the Call family has authored, get it, a new whiskey masterpiece with a focus on quality, passion, and innovation. It's a premium rye whiskey, and we can't wait to get it into the hands of rye lovers everywhere. And we have four of them right here. Absolutely. Uh, the barrels that I mentioned earlier. So the Call family has another Hemingway-inspired brand called Papa's Pilar Rum. Not Papaya. Not Papaya. Okay. Papaya. Which they released in honor of the 70th anniversary of Hemingway's acclaimed literary masterpiece, The Old Man in the Sea, which Drew will be reading an excerpt of, apparently. <laughs> I, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> which, according to literary lore, was finished by Hemingway on his boat, the Pilar. One of the rum expressions that they produced is finished in Oloroso sherry cast. So when they say rum seasoned sherry, they mean barrels that contain sherry, then rum, which they bottled and sold, and then finally rye. Really? So, so the barrel had sherry in it. And, it's and then also rum. rum. Um, and then the whiskey came in after the rum. Correct. Wow. It's like a triple threat. It I've is. never heard of that. Yeah. So the proof of this is 100. The age Ooh. and the mash bill are sort of tied together. So 94% of this is a nine-year undisclosed Indiana rye, but I think we all know where that came from. <laughs> Plus 6% is a four-year 95.5 Kentucky rye, which is the one that Jacob Call did. Mm -hmm. And then they finished it in the rum-seasoned Oloroso sherry cast for an undisclosed period of time. Right. It won two double platinum awards at the Ascots, which which I mentioned that was right. what sucked me in one for the whiskey and the other for the bottle design. Oh, the price was 110. Oh, that's, um, that's a little rich for your blood. It is. And that's why I said I got sucked in by the ad, but hundred proof. Most of it's nine years and yeah. it was had all those special things. Plus the bottle is freaking cool. I think Hold it's on. fair. Yeah. So the bottle's got stuff actually like mounted on it. I'm trying to break the glass. <laughs> Why does Ed hate the glasses? It's got like a thing in the back, like a library book. Yeah. Where you can sign it out, where yeah. you can like put the tasting notes that you've tasted and your name. And like who you drank it with too. Yeah, who you drank it with. Yeah. So it has a little pocket for like your library card. And then it talks about the story. And then on the front, it's got, I can't get the card back in. 
Can't get it back in? That's what she said. <laughs> they both said sadness. And then on the front, the word rye is in these raised metal circles with an R, Y, and E. So, you know, it's rye, rye, rye. It's a beautiful <laughs> bottle. It's a beautiful bottle. All right, so... Right now, it's chilling in our neat glasses with a lid on it. Yep. I'm systematically swirling it a bit. Once again, if you haven't joined us in our devotion to the neat glass, go on to neatglass.com, order yourself two, four, six, or a pallet, and uh, (laughs) put it in whiskey tan, and you'll get 10% off from our good friend, George Manska. All right, so anything else we need to know before we smell? No, that's it. take it off. We're going to taste it Guys, take the lid off, and uh, make sure your nose is in the middle of the cylinder. Take a sniff. Oh, that's interesting. Not what I expected. No, I expected like rummy wine smells. It's more rye and pepper spice than rummy or sherry notes. It smells more like what you expect just a regular old rye to smell like. Yeah, like a Willet rye would smell like this in my opinion. Yeah, very herbaceous like a Willet rye. Definitely can smell the spice on it. Can we break that down? Is there any particular spices? Are we getting cloves, cinnamon, anything like that? Or just like a rye woody spice. Yes, I said woody. (laughs) Or we're just going to move past that. <laughs> George's like, I'm just going to let that go. <laughs> I feel like I should be able to distinguish stuff, but I'm having trouble. Yeah, it's lighter on the nose than I expected. Yeah, and the neat glass, of course, minimizes some of the alcohol. So, I mean, there is a really fruity quality if you take a deeper sniff underneath all of that rye spice, which is very prevalent. But what fruit, though? Nah, you know what I'm going to say. You think it's cherry? I don't think it's cherry, but I was actually going to say it. I actually, think, in like everything. I actually think it's almost grapey to me. Oh. Like, not rapey, but grapey. <laughs> anyway, was a little rapey, just for the record. Whoa, was he? <laughs> I'm thinking he probably oh, was. Come I feel on. like all of them around that time were. While we're smelling, yeah, let's talk soon? about the time beard really. Too soon? <laughs> I'm just saying. I really feel like, was there a better job than being a writer like 1935? <clears throat> I feel like they sat around, right, in like Key West or the south of France in a, some type of a bungalow. Yes, both right, places. Doing yes. drinking absence and heroin and, and, yeah. and, oh, and, they were and just fornicating. Right, playing Russian roulette and then writing a couple of pages, and then boom, they put out a masterpiece and they go to London, then to right. the town, and then boom, they just fade back into the countryside to just live this. I don't know, like a rich bum, like just lay around and just apparently yeah. rape people. Right. Well, be, you know, <laughs> apparently, apparently. being rapey just means like, hey, aren't you uh, grown up? Oh, no. Really not actually raping, but just no, kind of like just oh, inappropriate. Aren't you uh, all of 16 years old? Aren't you a beautiful? This is 1930 yeah, people. Not me talking. This right. is Hemingway talking. Inappropriate. Right. So, right. I'm not being inappropriate. He is. <laughs> you put the rape in inappropriate. <laughs> All right. We're not really getting a lot. I just tasted it. Yeah, let's taste taste it. it, Yeah. Mm. Oh, wow. That is really, really a lot sweeter than the nose. A lot sweeter. So much pepper at the end. I know. Oh, there's so much pepper at the end. I just rushed through it all, but that's how I experienced it in full time for you all. All right. So the grape that you were smelling, I can absolutely taste it. I taste a lot of wine influence Mm -hmm. on this. The Olorosa sherry, that's what that must be. And then the rum's there too in a wholly different place. Mm. Like a vanilla, molasses vanilla. Yeah, it has, and that little bit of like rum funkiness, that, that yeah. odd flavor that you get with rums. An old rum, because remember, it's in a barrel. So rum, yeah. you know, you know, rum changes really quickly. I think rum's a very fragile spirit. I'm getting a lot of vanilla sweetness right yeah. up front. Mm-hmm. It feels like more like a bourbon than a rye just from the vanilla, but still the rye spice kind of comes in afterwards and still gets you. Yeah, I yeah. agree. It, it does comes, have yep. some bourbon notes to it, but the rye 
punches you right in the yeah. throat. Got you in the first half. <laughs> now I'm going to get you in the second. Well, exactly. Scott and I have to try to discuss what is a finish. Is the finish included? I know. The burning in the back of my throat right now that I'm still having from my sip from 30 seconds ago. Yeah. Like how long does the finish like We're often confused about when. The, uh, that's one thing I'd like an expert, you know, one of these super judges to tell me when the finish is supposed to stop. Like the, I would say that somebody would say when the liquid is gone. Yeah. That's when the finish should but stop. The finish should echo like five seconds. But right? it doesn't though. Yeah. Like sometimes a whiskey like this lingers on past that. Right. Well, sometimes you have that oily mouthfeel we talk about where it kind of sticks to your tongue a little bit. So yeah. then the flavor is lingering because it's still there. Yeah. The swallow didn't fully clear your palate. Right. Right. So, yeah, I think I need the bottle back for another splash shot. Okay, you go ahead. I overanalyzed, which I tend to do. Andy, what happened to you? I found that the second sip, the pepper wasn't as hot at the second half. Okay. The sweetness stayed a little bit longer on uh, the second sip. All right. I mean, it's still there. And yeah. It's still lingering, but the sweetness stayed a little bit more. My guess is that dropping some water in it is going to further what you just said, Andy. It's going to extend the sweetness a little bit longer, and the spiciness will still come into the end, but it'll be a little bit more subdued. Uh, let's see if I'm right. Yeah, we're going to add some water in? Yeah. Okay, me too. Hmm. It almost washes away some of the sweetness in the beginning. And I think it maybe it makes it harsher at the end. Wash like, it away, wash I agree away. with that I completely. It kind of had the opposite effect. Yeah, I don't think it really helps. Well, let me taste it before. Now you're influencing me. <laughs> All right, everyone shut up so you can taste no, it. <laughs> <laughs> so in order to combat this, we'll just pour more. So why are we getting a little bit more of a harsh burn at the end with adding eight drops of water? Oh, geez, that was, that was a little bit too much. Oh, that was an Ed pour. <laughs> it certainly was. Yeah, I don't know why with this particular spirit, it brings out more of the oaky, woody. Because yeah. this has been finished in something that had, was right. sort of double-barreled before. So you're getting a lot of its oak. Right now, I'm just going to have to add more because I added water. And I have to bring it back up to its... Uh, I'll never get back to 100, though. That's the that's sad part. <laughs> well, you kind of wonder why maybe they stopped at 100. <laughs> right. Because maybe this came out of the barrel at 110 or 115 yeah, or 120. Yeah, yeah, and they yeah, proofed yeah. it down. They proofed it down to 90. And we're like, oh, no, that's well, too far. I would be more impressed if they stopped at 102.7 or something. Well, 100s for like kind of a round number. Yeah. Yeah, that is but, also true. Question this, Scott. You bought it. Yeah. Is it worth 110 to you? I mean, I think it's special, but I'm asking you. Right. I think it's special also. Um, I don't know if it's worth 110 right. after tasting it. I will tell you, though, this is a very good whiskey for This is a rye on my palate for sure. This is my type of rye. Yeah, because it's a sweeter start to it. Yeah, a very yeah. sweet. But yet, if it stayed that way all the way through, I think it would ruin it. It would almost be like a Widow Jane decadence. It's yeah. so sweet on the initial sip. But then, my God, my throat is peppering. Yeah. I was at a riot, and they pepper sprayed my throat. A riot. Oh, <laughs> damn. Drew's first clever jab. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh... Uh, you know, I, I really like it. I don't know if it's worth $110. Would you buy it at 90 Yeah. Okay. If I had a bottle, it's one that after everybody tastes it, you put it back and you get something else out. Right. Yeah. yeah you don't leave this on the counter. This is an interesting and unique rye. And right. I guess that makes sense with the Olerso Sherry and the, the rum. I mean, I'm tasting right. a lot of black cherry, dark grape wine. Uh, that that is overwhelming everything for me. The rum wow. doesn't really come in except for the vanilla, which you guys said. Yeah. And then, I mean, the, the rye is undeniable we're, after that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we're splitting hairs here. 
It's the bottom line is this. If you're searching for a really good whiskey and $110 isn't anything to you because you, you're looking for the Pappies and the Blantons of gold and stuff like that, then you're not going to be disappointed. You're not going to spend 110 and be like, oh, I got shit whiskey. It's not like that at all. It's right. a very good whiskey. I'm I want to be clear on that. Yeah, I'm not it's, disappointed yeah, it's I got a, it. Right. It's about nine years old. It's got flavor notes that I don't think I've ever had this flavor profile before. And it's a flavor bomb. Like It, uh-huh. it really just detonates in your mouth. Yeah. Uh, it, it's right. so overwhelming <laughs> right. that the more you drink it, though, I think the more it kind of mellows out yeah. your yeah. mouth gets used to yeah. what it's, yeah. what's and happening it's spe- yeah and it, it mellows down a little bit it speaks to more of our financial logic than, yeah. than whether or not it's worth 110 right i think in the whiskey market today it's 100 worth 110 dollars based on what else is out there yeah so okay so the tasting notes are from breaking bourbon we'll see how we did uh, on the nose caramel vanilla brown sugar cinnamon bun glazed donut and rye spice oh we got the rye spice i don't know the, <laughs> yeah i don't know if those other things were on the nose the nose was pretty subdued I cinnamon get, bun I and get, glazed donut are interesting i did not yeah see that coming no. maybe a cinnamon but i got all i got was wood spice rye spice and a little vanilla notes but nothing special i was a very dull nose for me uh, maybe because we've already tasted it uh, it's definite vanilla i can well, smell yeah. now yeah. but that's now not the initial i mean maybe it's because we've and dropped water into it honestly to be truthful vanilla is a given when you're drinking bourbon and rice to a point so i'm looking for stuff beyond that and i think anders helped us with that yeah anders like don't say spice what what, what spices spice? are you tasting? Don't sure. say fruit. Force yourself to find out what exactly you're tasting and push your palate because you're like, oh, wait, I am actually, that is a raisin I'm tasting, you know? <laughs> Got to use your big boy words. Yeah. Right, that's right. So right. Um, <clears throat> don't laugh at me, Scott. I'm trying to, no, I'm, no. I'm raising awareness. <laughs> you're raising awareness. But um, shh. Well, the reason why I'm laughing on the palate, the whiskey comes alive with rich brown sugar, caramel, and toasted oak up front, followed by layers of raisin, mm-hmm. maple sugar candy, and hint of dark fruit. Right. <laughs> right. Which I, I think we nailed the palate. I think all of us nailed the palate pretty well. I think so. Because we said I mean, sweet and spicy. What's we, a raisin? Raisin is a dried grape. Exactly. Yeah. We were all over grapey, right? It was grapey as hell. Yeah, we did say that. On the finish, cinnamon spice holds throughout with hints of other baking spices and molasses, providing a satisfying degree of sweetness to balance against the unceasing mm. spice. Yes. Yes. And oh, ending. Thank you. We all agree on that. And yes, ending absolutely. with a welcome note of dusty oak, which we totally got when we put water in it. Dusty Oak. I saw him in concert one time. He opened up for... Uh, <laughs> Dusty Oak? Yeah, for w- Waylon Jennings. It was Waylon <laughs> Jennings, Dusty Oak, and Hank Williams Jr. <laughs> He's like the guy from uh, the old blues singer from uh, In Living Color. <laughs> I got a song. You want to hear it? Here it goes. <laughs> I drank Henry Rye. It tasted like grapey vanilla. Ha ha ha. All right. So as we sip the rest of this and enjoy it, because we did like it. I'm done. Once <laughs> yeah, more? It's gone. All right. Okay. I got these uh, from mentalfloss.com, the top five true tales about Ernest Hemingway. Number five, he earned medals in both world wars despite never serving in the military. During World War I, Hemingway was an ambulance driver in Italy, and in July of 1918, he was badly wounded by a mortar fire, but still managed to help an Italian soldier reach safety, an action that earned him the Italian Silver Medal of Honor. Almost three decades later, he was awarded the Bronze Star, the fourth highest U.S. military honor, for courage displayed while covering the European theater in World War II as a journalist, making him one of the very few civilians to ever earn the honor. Two medals and two world wars, and he never served in two the military. That's incredible. Didn't he also witness the Spanish Revolution? Franco was in charge of Spain. Uh, yeah. I, like, I thought he witnessed that. He was probably there, too. Because Dali yeah. did, too. That's where Dali's painting started getting warped, as he watched all the, oh. the violence in, in the... Uh, uh, yeah. Doing acid. Well, besides that, yeah. <laughs> But I'm saying... I'm going to look it up real quick. Okay. Two hours later...
So in March 1937, Hemingway traveled to Madrid to observe conditions firsthand during the Spanish Civil War. His experience during the Civil War provided material for what many consider his best and most famous novel, For Whom the Bell Tolls, mm. 1940. So this is before World War II. Yeah, and before Metallica. <laughs> Number four. He was also accused of war crimes. Following D-Day on June 6, 1944, when Hemingway was not allowed to disembark on Omaha Beach because, again, he was a civilian, he instead ended up leading a band of fighters in Rambouillet, France, on a mission to gather intelligence. The problem is, according to the Geneva Convention and Common Sense, journalists aren't allowed to lead troops. The Inspector General of the Third Army charged Hemingway with serious offenses, including removing patches from his clothing that identified him as a journalist, stockpiling weapons in his hotel room, and commanding a faction of armed operatives. However, he was eventually cleared of any wrongdoing. Because he was Hemingway. Take that, Geneva Convention. <laughs> That's right. Talk about a man's man, am I right? I mean... The I, dude was awesome. I will say this. The Hemingway at the end, you know, he was kind of like burned out a bit. Yeah, kinda, old and drunk. and After yeah. he had a bad plane crash, and he was on painkillers, and he kind of went out in a bad way but yeah when he was like 30 the dude was a g like, yeah he was a tough guy man they built him different back then yeah like, well that's how andy's <laughs> built but i you know but andy would have been great in 1930 <laughs> andy five foot eight of him <laughs> shade yeah. height shade from his own son wow. less of a target he would live longer drew you got cats two seconds under the beach like shoot the tall one first <laughs> that's right <laughs> But don't feel bad, Drew. I wouldn't even get off the damn landing trap. Like, you're blocking the door. Get out of the way. We're trying to invade France. And I'd Human be like, shield. It's like shield. we're hiding behind you. Right. I would hit by 800 bullets. If you're <clears> aiming <throat> from a half mile away, who are you aiming at? Like Drew or me? I'm like, I'm aiming at me from a half mile yeah. away. And Andy could be next week. They would all go over his head. <laughs> <laughs> Number three, his Key West house hmm. had a urinal stolen from his favorite bar. How do you steal a urinal? Well, yeah. Hemingway wrote several iconic works at his house in Key West, Florida, but it's also where he converted a urinal from a local bar into a fountain. Sloppy Joe's was a, was a nasty. I think it's still there. Yeah. Was a favorite watering hole of the author. So when the place underwent renovations, Hemingway took one of the urinals as a memento, justifying the theft by saying, well, I figured it was already mine, seeing how much money I poured into it over the years. <laughs> I've seen his house in Key West. It was a nice but very pedestrian house. Nothing very overt. Right. But a very good location. Yeah. You saw the fountain? The urinal I, fountain? I was just walked by it. I didn't get all into no. it. Oh. I didn't stalk it. I'm just like... <laughs> you didn't pee in it. No. Oh, that would have been awesome. What a great <laughs> or story. Or drink from it. I should have lied until I did that. Right. Drank from the fountain of life. Oh. From the fountain of piss. All right. <laughs> wow. You're in trouble. <laughs> Whose son is this? <laughs> Number two, uh, Ed, you reference this. Yeah. He and his wife almost died in back-to-back -back plane crashes. Yeah. In 1954, this is wild, Hemingway yep. and his fourth wife, time and life correspondent. Fourth wife. Fourth so, wife. Time out, time yeah. Not easy. Not easy guy to get along with. I, I believe his fourth and last wife. Right. Time and life correspondent Mary Welsh were vacationing in the Belgian Congo, like you do, sure. when their sightseeing charter flight clipped a pole and crashed into the jungle. The next day, when attempting to reach medical care in Uganda, they boarded another plane, which also crashed, leaving Hemingway with burn a concussion and his brain leaking cerebral fluid when they got to uganda by truck this time journalists had already published reports about their deaths so they got to do something most people don't read their own obituaries 
That's fascinating, but I will tell you this. There are a few more horror stories of what colonialism in Europe did to Africa than what Belgium did to the Congo. Yeah. Don't read those stories if you have any type of desire to sleep tonight. And I don't know why that's where you would vacation. And I say they bought their tickets. I say let them crash. Number one. And the number one true tall tale of Ernest Hemingway's life. He examined parts of F. Scott Fitzgerald in a Paris bathroom. What? Oh, boy. Oh, boy. <laughs> in Hemingway's memoir, A Movable Feast, which chronicled the time of his life that he spent in Paris, he claimed to have had quite the memorable encounter with the great Gatsby author F. Scott Fitzgerald. Hemingway wrote that Fitzgerald said his estranged wife Zelda had mocked his manhood and claimed it was so small that he'd never be able to satisfy another lover. Shade. Yeah. Wow. So Hemingway offered to investigate the matter and render a verdict. He and Fitzgerald adjourned to the bathroom at Michaud's, a popular restaurant in Paris, to examine the organ in question. Upon inspection, <laughs> Hemingway assured Fitzgerald that his physical endowment was of a totally normal size and suggested that he check out the nude statues at the Louvre for confirmation. Wow. Me and Scott are pretty good friends, but there's a line. There's a line. And that's the line. The line starts at the waistband. <laughs> it's and around ends the knee. right there. We're going to go to the knee, not even mid-thigh. I'm going to the knee. Just to the knee. Yeah, we're going knickers at this point. <laughs> knickers. <laughs> we're going short pants of like old Elizabeth in English. Pantaloons. Oh, I mean, you could do another 10 on him. You could. I, there were five more, but they weren't quite as uh, fun as those. Well, let's quit while they get as good. All right. Yeah. So final thoughts on the whiskey itself. Drew? Um, very rye heavy, very spicy. Yeah. Finish especially, but still very good. Very complex. Yeah. It's delicious. I mean, it's a beautiful color. Look at it in the bottle. It's very oh, yeah. deep, dark, almost like a garnet. There's some purple in there. I'll definitely drink this again. No question about it. If I went out and I saw that on the menu, I'd be like, all right, uh, some of that. Right. And, and once again, we also stress to you that if you want to try an upscale whiskey, but you don't feel like buying the whole bottle, overpay for a dram. Get an $18 dram and call it a day. I like it. I definitely would drink this again out. Would I buy it? For, I mean, a couple of years from now, I might be like, you know, what's a 115? I'm like, oh, whatever. I'll buy it to Scott as a joke. <laughs> <laughs> It's good. It's good. I would tell you now, if it was 90, I'd buy it once or twice a year. I like it that much. It's one of my favorite rides I've ever had. Yeah. I mean, it is delicious. The reason why I got it, because I really trust the Ascot Awards, especially yep. after doing our whiskey mentory on tasting competitions and how they work. It won the double platinum, which is their highest award, which means everybody on their panel thought it was a platinum. And right. when everybody thinks it's a platinum, that's how it gets double. Would you vote a platinum, Scott? Yeah. Absolutely. So would I. Yeah. And you know what? We've talked about how 125 and under is a sweet zone for us. You know what I mean? It's in the sweet zone for us to exactly. uptick. We used to uptick on Blood Oath, but now they're like 160, 170, so I don't buy Blood Oath anymore. I just don't need it. I liked it when it was 110, 115, just like Booker's. If Booker's goes to 125, 130, I'm going to have to like evaluate because that's a little bit more than I like to pay. But I guess every year we got up to five dollars at least, right? We have to, yeah, we have to I know. Co- right? We have to do like a cola, a little cost of living allowance for it, <laughs> <laughs> right? All right. So if you want to give Hemingway Rye a try, I say go for it. You deserve it. You work hard. Treat yourself <laughs> to a good rye whiskey. So for the Whiskey Tangent Podcast, I'm Ed. I'm Scott. I'm Drew. I'm Andy. Cheers, everybody. Later. Later.